Oh, this has been refreshing this morning. Every bit of this. Philip, I tell you, that was outstanding on time. My goodness, what a masterpiece of a truth. And uh, I had to repent for watching the first half of the Dallas Cowboys game the other night. I said, it's a waste of time. <laughs> Our brother sharing about homiletics this morning. I taught homiletics for 25 years. In fact, some of you probably had that class. I've developed five S's. I don't even know if I can remember them. What was it? Selecting the text, studying the text. They were all with S's. Study, uh, selecting the text, studying the text, shaping the text, sharing the text. I forgot the last S. <laughs> I, t I told several of the guys a while back, they said, they remembered homiletics and they said, you still work those S's? I said, no, I threw all that away. I said, I'm down to one word. One word, homiletics. They said, what? I said, that's it. What? What does God want to say? What do the people need to hear? What am I supposed to say? What I'm supposed to talk about? Oh. And then I said, so what? When I've said it, so what? What difference is it going to make? Is there any transformation? So what? And then I said, what again is uh, now what? How should I live? What does God want to do in my life? What should be the outcome? How am I, how's this going to change my life? They said, boy, we sure would have got a better grade if you'd have done away with some of those. <laughs> oh, Hallelujah. Hey, listen, I have, and I want you to jot these down. I believe that if we're going to be, and I put it right here at the very first of the message. If we're going to be, uh, raise our prayer to a new level in God, there's some practical things that I've kind of thought about myself that I've developed that helps me on a daily basis. Number one is to establish the priority of prayer. Raise it. Take it and put it on the top shelf. Make sure that it's a number one thing. Hey, uh, put those five, th I think there's five things here. Make sure that those are put up there. Those are practical issues. So prayer needs to become a priority. Second, plan a time of prayer. In fact, it's interesting, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives to us uh, the what we call <clears throat> there on the Sermon of the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you pray, if you'll notice the word when is connected to time. It's when. When you pray. So you need to have a when you pray time in your life. Because if you don't, there's too many other activities and too many other priorities that's going to squeeze it out and you'll be going to bed at night and saying, oh God, I forgot about that today. And then third, you need to have a place of prayer. You need to, Jesus took the disciples aside and resorted. In fact, in the text in Matthew 6, he says, find a secluded place, a secret place. It doesn't have to be the closet, but it needs to be somewhere where you meet with God. And you're not disrupted. You're able to have time with him. And then I, I you know, talking about a set time, the New Testament church 
they adopted it from Hebrew uh, practice. There was f- at least four to five times of prayer a day. Uh, nine o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, and six o'clock in the afternoon. But we need to have those, that set time and set place. And then you need to pray out loud. In Luke's gospel of the Lord's Prayer, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, the disciples had been noticing Jesus in his prayer habit, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the very first thing he said in verse 2 of chapter 11, he said, say, in other words, open your mouth. See, your ears need to hear your mouth telling you how great your God is and how that he's able to solve the situation of life that you face. I find if I don't pray out loud and I get sad in my prayer. Oh, by, uh, yeah, by the way, Lord. Does anybody here ever have a problem of wanting to go to sleep when you start to pray? Not one honest person in this entire church. And I think that probably the most important thing over the years that I've learned is to have a pattern. And that's actually what I've laid up here. Sometime when, you, when we dismiss here in the next few minutes, I want you to pick up one of these. It's really the Lord's Prayer. And I've kind of adapted. Did you know there's, there's three thys, three us's, and three thines? Thy name is hallowed. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be. And three us's. Give us daily bread. That's the mortgage payment, the car payment, whatever your deed is. And then forgive us. Our debt says we forgive those uh, that have trespassed against us. And lead us not into tip. And then the three thines. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Well, you know, it was probably 25 years ago at this missions conference, I heard Larry Lee. In fact, the title of it, I believe, of his message was, Can't You Tarry With Me an Hour? Or Tarry With Me an Hour. Larry Lee said, if you're going to have a consistent, strong prayer life, he gave us three D's. He said, first of all, you've got to desire. You've got to desire to raise the level of your devotional life, your prayer life, your time in the presence of God. Then second, you've got to discipline. You've got to, I've got to get up. I've got to do this. You've got to discipline your time. And then he said, you'll come to the point where you delight. You delight in being in the presence of the Lord. Having said that, and I'm going to draw your attention to Matthew 6 in just a minute, I heard about two guys that were friends, and they were talking about biblical and spiritual things, and one guy, he looked at his friend and said, you know, you really don't know very much about the Bible. In fact, I don't even think that you know the Lord's Prayer. The guy said, yes, I do. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $10 if, if you could quote the Lord's Prayer. Well, the guy said, all right, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
<laughs> the guy kind of laughed and reached into his pocket and took out the $10 and said, I really didn't think you knew it. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> several years ago, in Dallas, Texas, there was a pastor's conference, about 2,000 pastors, ministers that were there, and they were given some, a paper and a questionnaire. They were not to sign it, identify who they were, but they, they wanted these men to answer objectively and honestly. And then the report came out of some of the various things that had been, questions that had been asked and the answers the thing that stunned me was a question relative to their personal prayer life. 95% of the pastors said they prayed five minutes or less on a daily basis. See, most pastors and most Christians know that we should pray more. But for whatever reason... We allow something to keep us from it. I'm afraid that many of God's children and even some of God's servants, they don't pray unless it's an emergency situation. They're facing some crises. In fact, in reality, they're not even sure that their prayers make that much difference. Now, most of us believe that prayer makes a difference and that God answers prayer. But we're just not sure that our prayer our personal prayer is effective and changes and transforms. I really believe that that feeling comes from more from inferiority than it does from humility because we've allowed the enemy to buffalo us and unless a person believes that their prayer makes a difference, they will not pray consistently. They'll pray only in times of emergency or they'll pray out of a sense of guilt because, you know, Christians are supposed to pray. Look with me right quick at the Lord's Prayer. Can we, maybe we ought to read it together. Is it up? Yeah, it's up here. Come on, let's all read this. Verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, not after this mimic, after this format and this guide, after this manner, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you'll notice on this list I've put the Eight compound names of God on this. So I hallow his name. Sometimes I, I never in an hour, never get beyond those eight names of declaring my faith of who I am in Christ based upon his names. Lord, you're my Jehovah Tiskanu. You're the Lord, my righteousness. I come to you today. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross I cling. I thank you, Lord, that I'm, I'm righteous, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You've imputed your righteousness on my account. And after I hallow his name, and then I'll say, Lord, you're my Jehovah Makedesh. You're the God that sanctifies. You're the one that is at work in my life, digging out the garbage, taking out what needs to be out and putting in what needs to be in. And you're my Jehovah Shalom. Hey, listen, don't, don't just get lost, though. If you forget uh, the names of God, just, just it's all culminated 
in that one glorious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you start praising Jesus and when you begin to hallow the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, all of heaven begins to snap to attention. I think that all the angels begin to sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Woo, hallelujah. I think it moves heaven. And then notice this. Uh, in, in verse, in verse uh, 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going to zero on that statement alone. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you notice verse 8? For your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. But I want to just remind you that God's knowledge does not necessarily prompt action. It's not until prayer is made. Prayer is what moves the hand of God. Well, you say, listen, if God is sovereign and and, and God has all power and God loves me, well, he ought to take care of it. Listen, I'm sharing with you in these next few moments on why pray. And we need to understand, and that's why I'm zeroing in on verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's been stated, in fact, I read that John Wesley said, God does nothing on earth but an answer to prayer. I struggled with that. I said, well, I kind of believe that, but how does that fit with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God? That God can do whatever he wants to, when he wants to, and how he wants to. Has God made himself dependent upon finite, puny, weakly, earth, weakling earthly creatures that we are? How do we harmonize this apparent contradiction? If God does all he wants, when he wants, how he wants, well, then the question is, well, why, why, why should I pray? Understand God has a conditional will and there's his unconditional will. God's unconditional will, listen to this, is what God is determined to do irrespective of your involvement, my involvement, or anybody else's involvement. It's not conditioned upon what anybody says, does, because God has decided that it's going to happen. So he's going to cause it to happen. It doesn't involve human activity. That is God's unconditional will. But God also has a conditional will. And there are those things that he desires to do, that he wants to do. But it will not happen until he gets cooperation and involvement from earth. And that is specifically our prayer. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Now, we don't always know what is God's conditional will and what is his unconditional will. So we need to obey what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> we need to just pray about everything. Let me share with you these four principles and I want you to take these with you today. First of all, it's to understand the purpose of prayer. Because right in this passage, 
Jesus is letting us know the purpose of prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. See, the purpose of prayer is to draw from heaven and to bring his will on earth. The purpose of prayer is to get the supernatural down into the natural. The purpose of prayer is to get eternity to step into time and to make a statement and change something, get heaven visible on earth. The purpose of prayer is to get deity to touch humanity. The purpose of prayer is to get something up there, down here, to alter the circumstance that we want God's hand and God's will to be activated. I'm telling you something, the purpose of God, he, he opens the doors of heavens, he descends in mighty power, and, and he breaks the, the darkness, and the chains are released, and something happens when we begin to call upon the name of the Lord and pray. See, that, that's the purpose of prayer, is it, it moves the hand of God. Now, here's the second principle. It's the law of prayer. What's the law of prayer? See, there's many things that God wills to happen. There's things that he wills to be done on earth. But the primary mechanism that that will is carried out is established and gets done on earth. It's conditioned by your and my prayer and our involvement in rising up in faith and pray and trusting the word of God. We must understand that God basically has a will about everything and anything that makes a difference. God is not passive about anything. So if God has a will about everything and he has all power to be able to do it, well, then why doesn't he just do it? We must understand that God does what he does because he works and he implements his will in very specific ways. God does what he does within the laws that he has established and he cannot, or I should say he will not, simply by virtue of the fact that he's God, impose his will over the objections of man unless God can do it in a legal and a lawful way that he's already established. See, understand that everything in our universe operates according to God's laws. Every star, every planet in its orbit, everything in our universe moves by God's eternal laws. Isn't it interesting that only man in all of God's creation has this incredible, awesome power of will and choice. When you go back to Genesis and you read of Adam who chose to disobey God and he fell from fellowship and communion with the Lord, Adam became a willful rebel. Now, Adam's sin didn't take God by surprise, but it did present a problem. A problem? Yeah. How is a sovereign God now that has a will and, and, and how is he going to implement that will? That's, it's, it's by divine laws, a law that he's established and he will not break. And now it's a world that is controlled and ruled by a rebel. You know, theologians have struggled for years with this dilemma. How can God be sovereign and man truly be free? Well, let me tell you something. God had the solution before he ever had the problem. 
And what was the solution? God established the highest law of the universe, which is the law of prayer. And you say, well, what's the law of prayer? The law of prayer is that that justifies divine intervention and it makes possible for God and legal for God to implement his will even against the will of rebels when it's in response to those that will agree with God in prayer and see his will accomplished. That's why Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 6 and verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Listen, when there are those of us Living in this world, in the midst of the wicked and the corrupt world in which we live in. And we want the will of God more than the will of man. We want the will of God more than our own will. And, and we begin to pray, God, let your will be accomplished. This prayer makes legal for God to do what he would not do before, even though it was his will. He would not do it before. And the prayer of faith makes possible for God to do what he's willed to do, wants to do, desires to do. And he responds to the prayer of faith in the hearts of God's people. Woo, hallelujah. That's why prayer should be your first choice. Not your last chance. See, nothing descends from heaven until prayer ascends from earth. Oh, my Lord, help us to see this today. The third principle I want to share with you is the law of co-worker with God. God has established that we're co-workers with him. We're, we're partners together with God. See, God's determined that he, he wants to accomplish his will on this earth. Now, Satan knows this. That's why that he, Satan fights you, even in this, this battleground of prayer and raising the level of your prayer life. God wants to involve you in the implementation of his purpose and his desire. It's, listen, one thing is that we can all agree on this. We can do nothing without him and God has chosen to do little to nothing without us we're workers together Matthew 6 and 10 when Jesus teaches us thy kingdom come thy will be done this is not some sort of a case, hurrah, hurrah, whatever will be, will be. No, actually, this is written in the aorist imperative, the Greek aorist imperative. It, there, there, there's a command in this. There, there's something about faith that, that moves the hand of God. It's, it's a demanding expression. Come thy kingdom. Come thy will be done. I think of it in terms as like putting the foot down. Did any of you have a mama who said, you know, she said, David, pick those shoes up. David, I told you a while ago, pick those shoes up. And in a little while, mom would say, David, I'm putting my foot down. Oh, when mama puts her foot down, that meant she's drawing a line in the sand. Next time, it's going to be the shoe probably on my back end. And that's what this is. Come thy kingdom. Come thy will be done. It's, it, it has that, that reaching out and saying, God, your will be accomplished. I claim your divine purpose to be fulfilled. Oh, God, help us. Dr. Bill, or Paul Billheimer, in fact, Billy Graham wrote the preface. This book has been around for a long time, probably 50 years. 
It's called Destined for the Throne. And Dr. Paul Bilheimer, I want you to look at this statement that he makes. Prayer is not begging God to do something which he is loath to do. It's not overcoming the reluctance of God. It is implementing and enforcing Christ's victory over Satan. It is implementing upon earth heaven's decisions concerning the affairs of men. Calvary legally destroyed Satan and canceled all of his claims. And God has placed the enforcement of Calvary, Calvary's victory in the hands of the church. See, Martin Luther said it. Prayer's not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying a hold of God's willingness. Prayer's not trying to twist God's arm and get him to do something that he's not inclined to do because you and I can't make God do anything he's, he doesn't want to do. But what prayer does is it accesses you into the throne room of heaven and God begins to do what he would not do before and now because you're praying in faith, God's hand that has been conditioned in response to, to your prayer, God begins to move. Now, the very last statement and this, the, the next three or four minutes is probably the most important of all this message. I want you to see this fleshed out in the Bible because you hear this and you say, now is all that true? God's will enforced by prayer. And I want, to see, I want you to see this right straight from the Word of God. Joshua chapter 10, verse 8 through 14. The background of this, the Scripture says that the men of Gibeon, who were part of the Hebrews, they sent for Joshua to fight against the Amorites. And in verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Now listen to what God spoke to Joshua. Fear them not. For I have delivered them into thine hand, and there shall not a man of them stand before thee. Now this, how many of you know this is the clear word of God? This is as straight a prophetic uh, a will of God as you could find anywhere in the Bible. God emphatically said what he intended for the outcome of this conflict. How many of you would agree with that? That's what the passage says. And notice, Joshua just didn't run over and sit down in a corner and say, oh, twiddly dee, twiddly dee, I'm going to twiddle my thumbs till Jesus comes. No, 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 no. He, get, he gets up and he begins to head towards the enemy. Verse 9 says, and all night they marched from Gilgal. And Joshua took them by surprise. And now the battle's going against the Amorites. But to finish the conflict and to win the victory, Darkness is coming upon the earth. Now listen to this, verse 10. This is Joshua 10, 10. Then the Lord threw them into a panic so that the army of Israel slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon and chased the others all the way to Betharon and Azekah and Makeda, killing them all along the way. And as the enemy was racing down the hill to Betharon, the Lord destroyed them with a great hailstone that continued all the way to Azekah. In fact, more men died from the hail than by the swords of the Israelites. Now we go on. It's getting dark. The sun's going down. Listen to this incredible prayer by Joshua, verse 12. And as the men of Israel were pursuing and harassing the foe, Joshua prayed aloud. Come on, somebody say, Joshua prayed aloud. Hey, there comes a moment when you need to lift your voice. 
You just need to maybe stand on your feet and say, now God, something's got to change the temperature in this situation. He lifted and prayed aloud, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and let the moon stand in its place over the valley of Ajon. And the sun and the moon didn't move. People, I'm reading out of the blackback book. This is exactly what the word of God says. And the sun and the moon didn't move until the Israeli army had finished the destruction of the enemies. This is described in greater detail of the book of Jasher. So the sun stopped in the heavens and stayed there for almost 24 hours. There had never been such a day before. And there's never been another one since when the Lord stopped the sun and the moon all because of the prayer of one man. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. The Lord was fighting for them. Joshua's prayer justified divine intervention. God had already spoken what his will was and Joshua begins to pray and call upon the Lord and God did not interfere with the law of the sun or the moon or the earth in its orbit until Joshua prayed. Prayer is aligning with God's will and rising up in faith and claiming the will of God to be activated, the will of God to be enforced. And now, let me just tell you one other incident right quick. It's Abraham. God said, you know, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are so wicked, I'm going to destroy them. But how can I do this thing unless I talk to my friend Abraham? Genesis chapter 18. Can I just read these verses? And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham this thing that I'm going to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he'll command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I'm going to go down and see whether they've done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come before me. And if not, I'll know. And the men turned their faces from thence. The angels are heading toward, they went toward Sodom. Listen to it. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Oh, notice this statement. It's Abraham standing as the intercessor. God's determined he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham stands before the Lord. And then this is Abraham's discussion with God. It's chapter 18 and verse 23. Abraham came near and he said, God, are you going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Will you also destroy this place and not spare it for 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to, stay, uh, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Uh, be it far from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do the right thing? And, and God said, no, 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 I won't even, not even for 50. He says, oh, Lord, how about 45? And God said, I'll spare the whole bunch of them if there's 40. How about 40? God says, you got it. How about if there's 30? Lord, if there's 30 righteous, will you spare? God said, I'll spare all of Sodom and Gomorrah. How about if there's 20? How about if there's 10? And God didn't stop reducing it. Abraham is practically bringing God down to his level of negotiation in verse 27. And Abraham went up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And behold, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a, of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain What does it say? 
God remembered Abraham. It didn't say that God remembered Lot and saved Lot. God remembered Abraham, this intercessor standing on the mount. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. People, I'm telling you something. When God's people come into agreement with God's will and you rise up in prayer and, and exercise faith in believing what God will do, I'm telling you, God will move heaven and earth and respond to the prayer of God's people. And now what I've just shared with you of these two examples, there's, there's numerous examples. We don't have time to do it. But how many of you today are going to believe God to raise the level of your prayer walk with God? Come on, stand your feet and hold your hands up with me. <clears throat> and I want you to pick up one of these prayer guides here as you go for your lunch today. Why don't we all just lift our hands to the Lord just for a moment? <clears throat> and maybe in closing, let's, let's sing it a cappella. Our Father... Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Put your hand on your friend next to you. Lord, help every one of us in this place to raise our prayer level this year. Let it be dynamic. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.